Hello and welcome back to the Tasty Debrief. Being massive film nerds, we decided it was only right that we discuss and dissect Game of Thrones. And with the release of the first episode of Season 8, Winterfell, we are going to do a special episode every Friday where we do just that and we talk and geek out about Game of Thrones. Let's tuck in. The night is dark and full of spoilers, so this is your spoiler warning. If you haven't seen the episode, go watch it and come back and listen. Jumping straight in, the this is episode one of the final season. Um, primarily like an episode of reunions this week. We had like, so we had the Stark sort of children in their entirety all reunited with each other, which was quite nice. Um, John seeing Bran again, John seeing Arya again. Uh, then you also had um, a lot of other Arya reunions, um, Gendry and the Hound um, and everything that comes with that. Then you had, um, you know, John and Sam seeing each other again and Sansa and Tyrion, like a lot, a lot of reunions in this episode. And then obviously like Jamie and Bran last shot. So we'll see how that plays out next week. But yeah, so what do we think? Overall thoughts on the episode? I, I liked it. It's got, it's got some great like performances going on. Um... Peter Dinklage is, is never not going to give a good performance, I don't think. He's, a, he's true, truly a, a very beautiful and such talent. I found it really interesting because like, the episode had a stark contrast with the previous episodes. In its tone, there were a lot of jokes. It was funny. But going from the previous seasons where it's got progressively darker and more miserable, to have this first episode be so funny. Like, there were a lot of one-liners and just comedic moments. And from the director of The Red Wedding, it's odd. It's definitely kind of slightly strange, especially when this episode is essentially, like, the purpose is to, to build the tension for the coming season. It was kind of weird that it kept having these, like, weird, funny moments. Unless they're, they're going to pull a bit of slap and tickle with that. This is the tickle and then you know, in the future episodes there's coming the slap. I mean, people are going to die. It's Game of Thrones. Oh, yeah. I'm hoping lots of people will die. I want no main characters. I want like maybe one side character that we've sort of had a bit of. Who's the... I want Pod to be the only survivor. He's the, he's the Game of Thrones survivor at the end of all this. Pod is Azora High. And also the Valakar. And also the three-headed dragon. And he's also a Targaryen. <laughs> Everyone's a Targaryen at this point. <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah, there was, there was a lot of... Uh, of tension building like you can you can tell that they're definitely setting us up for a big bad quite soon in the season i think there's going to be like a heck of a battle like probably episode three well that's We're... basically confirmed as well because if you look at the directors david nutter is the first director for the first two episodes the guy as i said who did the red wedding so there's going to be a lot of tension probably a lot of death in the first two and then episode three is i can't remember the director's name but he is the guy who did Battle of the Bastards. Oof. So I'm thinking episode three is the Battle of Winterfell. And apparently it's an entire episode on a battle, which I'm very excited for. They love their battle episodes. They do. And I'm hoping they're going to deep dive into it and be as geeky as they were with the Battle of the Bastards and take historical tactics again. Mm. I want to see what's going to happen with Arya's, the weapon that she's asked for. I'm really interested in it. It's um, you, when you like, if you pause it and look at the paper, the paper specifies that part of it's made of dragon glass, but it looks quite sort of small. It's not like a giant sword. It's not like 
anything sort of projectile looking. It just looks like a sort of small, hideable, possibly even like detachable weapon. And I'm really, I was trying to think about like what it would be for, because we know Arya now is, is, is gonna wanna be involved in any battle that comes to Winterfell. But I think, I, have, I kind of have a theory that that weapon is for Viserion. Because they made a, a big point of showing her reaction when the dragons flew over. And they made a point of having her also be very close by when they told when they were told that uh, the Night King has Viserion now, that he has a dragon. And I don't know, she's made a there have been a lot of things in the books and in the show both previously where she's either threatened to or has actually stabbed something in the eye. And I feel like that that weapon is like probably just about the right size to get like right in Viserion's eye. And it's really interesting as well, since if you look back at prior episodes, specifically when she was at Harrenhal with Tywin, she knows things about dragons. She studied dragons. She's obsessed with dragons. And that is probably something that we've all overlooked, but is going to be really important in the end game. I think so. I, def I definitely think she's going to be involved in the fighting. I don't think Jon's going to be okay with it, but I think he's going to he's going to have to be. Can't imagine that Arya's looking at this battle and planning on only being a sort of foot soldier. I've, I feel like she's definitely going to at least take a swing at something big. I found the uh, reunion between Jon and Arya really interesting because of the the weird comparison of weapons and the fact that she leaves out her Valyrian dagger because she obviously shows Jon the weapon he got her in the first season, then he shows her his Valyrian steel sword and then she doesn't say anything about the dagger. We only really remember that she's got it when she's talking to Gendry. I mean, the thing is, is like she's not hiding it. It's pretty big, it's sitting on her hip, like you can see it. I think it's more of a, I think that scene was built to show us in the plainest way possible how much these characters have changed since we last saw them together. Because the last time we did see them together was when he gave her needle. And that was what, like two, three episodes into season one? Like that's a long time ago, that's like 10 years ago now. And I think having them, like there were no tears. It wasn't the same as a reunion with that John had with Sansa. He didn't like kiss her on the head. He he just hugged her. Like it was a nice callback to the last time they saw each other when they hugged like that again over needle. But it's also it's showcasing that like they're different people now. Their priorities have changed. John has become a like a battle-hardened soldier. He's literally died before. Aya has like you're seeing the impact there of like her time with the faceless men and the and everything that she's had to do to survive since she last saw John. Um, and I think it, it was a really nice way of like showing that like they're still both strong characters, they're still both like wielding weapons, but they're not the emotional characters that we thought they were going to be when they got reunited. But the way they underplayed the reunion was really nice because mm. it wasn't melodramatic. We got a nice northerner reunion. As I said, there weren't any tears. It was just quite underplayed. There is there is one northerner reunion that I do still want to see. I want to see how Lyanna Mormont is going to deal with Jorah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It doesn't seem to be anything that anyone's really considered because you haven't seen them in any shots together. And you kind of associate Jorah more with Daenerys and like Mormont uh, from the wall. You don't really associate him with actually being related to little Lyanna. 
but he is and she's already established herself as such a such a strong character with very sort of vigilant opinions on things that I, I'm interested to see whether she's going to pardon him for the sake of the North and for the sake of fighting together or if she's going to maintain everything that came before and just like not recognize him and not sort of bring him in to the fold like that but no I definitely I definitely do think that Jorah has kind of been sidelined a little bit like he was never a primary character but he always served in some capacity to sort of humanize Daenerys a little bit like it's very difficult to sort of make this warrior princess mass murderer likable sometimes especially with the choices that she's made but she's always had a side character nearby to sort of humanize her a little bit like it's always been Missandei or um Darian Harris or Tyrion yeah or Tyrion or like Jorah and and it seems to have kind of become the only purpose of Jorah as a character despite the fact that actually he's a really fantastic fighter like he he's good at what he does but he seems to just be sidelined in favor of watching Jon Snow's hair flip in the wind it's good hair though it is good hair so one of the things that I wanted to bring up uh, about this first episode is there was a lot of discussion of intelligence this time around and pretty much all of it was in regards to Sansa. Um, Sansa had that discussion with Tyrion where he kind of genuinely does believe that Cersei's going to send help to the North when we know she is and Sansa's response to that is I used to think you were the cleverest man in the world. Like. It's a changing power dynamic there with Sansa and Tyrion that I find really, really interesting. Like, Sansa has spent a lot of time in the company of the worst people of Westeros, but has managed to learn from all of them. She learned from Cersei, she learned from Ramsay, she learned from like everything that she's had to experience. And she's becoming quite the sort of the tactician. She's very intelligent, she knows how to manage her people, she's but she's grown a lot and she's also like her power has developed a lot whereas Tyrion here is now kind of letting his hope that Cersei might not be a hundred percent a bad person cloud his judgment where I don't think if he thought like if he didn't think she was pregnant I think he would have been on Sansa's side there and he would have been no we can't trust her we can't rely on anything coming from the south the Lannister soldiers will not arrive I think Tyrion's main issue now is he has faith in someone. Mm. He's lost his cynicism. He believes in Daenerys, which means he's more willing to accept that other people will help. Mm. His cynicism is the thing that basically kept him alive. And I, I don't want to see him die, but I think that's probably going to kill him. I think it might. But I also feel like Sansa's new power, her new intelligence is gonna be her downfall. I think so. I, I definitely think that Sansa's recognized the same thing that you have in Tyrion's character in that his sort of, his cutting wit isn't enough to keep him alive anymore. It's not infallible. He's not like as brilliant and clever as he thought, as like he thought he was and as she used to think he is. But definitely, Especially in this episode, there was a, a big deal made about Sansa's intelligence and Sansa's, like, power. Because after this discussion, where she <laughs> shuts Tyrion down, basically, 
we very soon after that we see Aya say that Sansa is one of the smartest people she's ever met. That's two very direct references to intelligence and cleverness. Very quick, in very quick succession, both in regards to Sansa. And I feel like they're definitely building up to something that's gonna play out pretty soon. Either she's gonna want to be more of a tactician or maybe she's going to, you know, make her own bid for the throne. Like, as far as we're can, like, as far as I'm concerned, kind of Sansa and Cersei are the only people still playing the original Game of Thrones. Everyone else has either found new priorities or died. But these, these two characters are kind of the only people that are really trying. I mean, like, you could count Daenerys in that race, but she's only just arrived, like, in Westeros, and she's also turned her attention to the bigger threat coming from the north. She's she's taken her eye off the ball, and I think Sansa's seeing that as an opportunity. I think that's why we're being told that she's so clever, is because she's gonna try and make a clever play for the throne. But I'm, I'm gonna contradict myself now and say that it's interesting that Tyrion is now almost on the back burner, but he's with um, Sir Davos and Varys, who are survivors. They are survivors through and through. And now he's in that small little group. And I can honestly see Davos and Varys surviving everything, outliving everyone. And they're playing their little backseat games, trying to get Jon and Daenerys together, and they're constantly conniving and manipulating. And yes, Davos and Varys are on other sides of the spectrum, but it's still there. And if Tyrion's in that group, who knows what could happen? I am interested to see whether or not Jon's identity as a Targaryen will be made as widened knowledge, or if Jon's going to choose to keep it quiet in favour of Daenerys. Obviously, she's going to find out, because I don't think he's going to want to stay shagging his arm. But at the same time, hes I don't think he's going to tell a lot of people. I think he's going to die under the same name he was born with. He's, he's going to stay Jon Snow. I think all the way through, like he's he's not gonna ask to be legitimized as a Stark, despite the fact that we know who his mother is now. He's not gonna wanna be a Targaryen. I think he's going, he's like, you can see it in his reaction when Sam told him that he was furious at the suggestion that his father was anybody other than Ned Stark, which I understand, like, that is that is the guy that raised him, that's the guy that he grew up with, that's the guy that protected him against all of Cat Stark's arseholdery. But then you see that, like, he, he doesn't consider himself anything other than Jon Snow now, and I don't think that's going to change. So in terms of how the big reveal was done, what do we think? So, in terms of the big reveal of Sam, telling John, I think that there's going to be a bit of a, uh, an issue with Sam and John are definitively like some of the best friends in the series, um, BFFs, they've done an awful lot together, they're characters who have since series one stayed very close throughout every series which is very rare. And now that Daenerys is stepping in you have the whole thing with Daenerys having murdered most of Sam's family. Uh, which he's not very ha pleased about. He didn't get on very well with his family, but you know, uh, in a way Sam still kind of wanted to be appreciated, to be acknowledged by them, and now he's never gonna get that. They've basically 
taken away the logical endpoint for his character progression would be, oh, he proves himself a great tactician in the final battle and then his parents accept him and he's never going to get any of that relief now. So that's clearly affected him. Um, great performance during that scene. Standout performance of the episode. I think definitely. Um, and now John having this very, very close dynamic with Daenerys is definitely going get, to get in the way of that. And I think there's definitely an angle coming along where Sam's going to try something or it's going to be a big moment where Sam is attempting to sort of save the two of them or like Daenerys is clinging on somehow and Sam makes a bad choice. I think there's de they're definitely leaning in that direction. And I'm very intrigued to see where Sam's character goes this series. I, I yeah, I've, I've kind of torn between which of two potential sort of fallouts of this that, I ex that I'm expecting. The thing that I hope comes out of this is Sam... that Sam's reaction to uh, the Tali deaths that Daenerys caused will make her re-examine. As much as she says that she doesn't want to be Queen of the Ashes, she burns a lot of people. She kills a lot of things. Like Her go-to move at the minute is to ride in on Drogon and set everything on fire and fly away again. And I think the best thing that can come of this sort of revelation from Sam is that she'll reconsider and find a smarter way of fighting because we like we've seen now with the Night King that that method doesn't always work. That's how we lost Viserion. Like she basically handed him a gigantic weapon because she didn't think about how she was going to do it. Everybody kept telling her last series, stop riding in on the dragons. It's really stupid. Stop doing it. Stop doing it. Stop doing it. And then she kept doing it, and look where that ended up. Exactly. Now the Night King has the most power, basically has the Westeros equivalent of a nuke. So the other of the two things that I expect to come out of Daenerys and Sam is that Daenerys is going to try and sort of come between Jon and Sam. I think she's going to view the revelation coming at the time that it did as a sort of clapback, basically like you've killed my parent you've killed my father and my brother well great you can't you can't have sex with my friend anymore here's why like it, it i think that's going to be how she's going to see it is that that's sam trying to throw a spanner in the works that's him trying to undermine her in front of his friend because of what she's done um i think it's less likely but i definitely do think there is a risk of it um and my concern there is that sam will either refuse to stand with John and Daenerys, if they continue as they are, he'll ref he'll refuse to fight and he'll leave, um, or that he like it will put such a spanner in that relationship that it starts to fall apart, and then they are much more likely to lose that sort of end game with the White Walkers. I also find um, with Sam, what's really interesting is um, his Valyrian steel sword, because you've got. The, the old anecdote in film where if you show a gun, you've got to shoot the gun. What's Sam going to do with the sword? With Sam's sword though, I, the, there is um, a theory circulating that he's going to give it to Jorah. Because Jorah is one of the proven best fighters in the series. You've got like Jorah, Bronn, Tormund, Brienne, Arya, Jon, the Hound. They're kind of the big ones. At, fighting used to be jamie but uh yeah, 
don't talk about that anymore. Yeah, we don't talk about Jimmy. No, um, but you know, there are these big fighters and Jorah is one of them and Sam is decidedly not. Um, and I think it's going to be that like Jorah doesn't have his house sword anymore and Sam doesn't have the capability to wield a Valyrian steel sword. I think he's going to give it to Jorah for the for the like the big battles. Although you could also look at it as a very good tactical ploy because obviously Cersei now has employed Bronn to go kill Tyrion and Jaime. Why wouldn't Bronn want a Valyrian steel sword? You can buy off Bronn and have him for the final battle. Um, so we've talked a lot about the Sam and Daenerys reunion and Jorah in the scene and it's He's present, he says, thank you Sam for not having me succumb to grayscale, very appreciative, and then kind of stands just behind Daenerys while the two of them do the rest of the scene. Um, I think I can only imagine the script just sort of had occasional notes, Dora stands. Uh, he, he's got nothing to contribute, it's very awkward, he's not really sort of present, he's just kind of there in the background, I'm not... I get that he's Daenerys' knight, but we weird that. But also, like, Sam's not a threat, he didn't need to come with. Yeah. You know, but, I don't know, I, I just, I thought it was really funny that Jorah was kind of, he was there, and I kind of thought he would be there to act in the function that I've already said he had, like, to, to, to sort of humanise Daenerys a little bit, but... He didn't. He didn't react. He barely reacted to it. It was like he didn't offer Sam any solace for the loss of most of his family. He didn't offer Daenerys any sort of indication of how she should handle it either. He kind of just sort of watched it happen and then was like, oh, "Sorry, fella. Didn't 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 really." Uh... Unfortunate. Yeah, exactly. It's not ideal, but that's the way it is. Exactly. That's the way the cookie crumbles. But like, I don't know. It it kind of felt like he was supposed to be there. Maybe to show Daenerys, like, this is this is the impact of the things that you do. This is why you can't ride in and set everything on fire when people tell you no. Like, Daenerys is essentially still a child working out how to be a grown-up and try and win a kingdom. She's, she's not much different from Viserys at this point because she's acting the same. She's she's less shouty about it, but she's still, every time someone tells her no, she has a temper tantrum and people die. I feel there's a potential thing that, because she's been aged up in the show, but her actions haven't been changed, um, but she's still very much meant to come across as a child. Um, she's a very intelligent child, you know, there's an awful lot. Daenerys is, I think, a really interesting character, but that she's kind of making these decisions very much based on emotion. One of the things I do like about her that in the moment she always thinks what she's doing is the right thing, um, but she's she's always 100% certain of it even if like afterwards she's like oh that was maybe oopsie. You can you can definitely see that in the scene with Sam as well because as soon as he mentions his last name and she's like no was it was it the same Tali oh damn you know like. You can tell, like, in the way that she explained to Sam what happened, she was already on the defensive about it. She knew she'd done wrong. She knew it wasn't the right decision to make. And people at the time told her that. Tyrion told her to send them to the wall. She still chose to set them on fire. Like, this is just her being confronted with the fact that actually she's not making the right decisions and she will end up Queen of the Ashes. Also, to note that during the scene, 
she does tell as soon as she finds out she tells Sam and I think that's kind of very much some part of the strength of her character is that again she owns the decision she makes and she's like yes I did this I thought that it was the right decision at the time I might have been wrong um and I think some of the lesser characters would have just swept it under the rug for them to find out later but she's like straight away it's like very direct it's like oh by the way I, I killed most of your family my bad it's interesting as well because that's a very stark approach because yes the dragons killed the Talis, but that's still technically by her hand she as the queen has killed them by her hand which is something that john would do something ned would do these are all characters we're inherently meant to respect the dragons are very much are always sort of pinned as an extension of Daenerys. Yeah, the dragons are essentially her version of ice. You know, they're, 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 they are the weapon that she chooses to use to dole out justice. I don't think we've seen her wield a sword or any kind of weapon ever. She wields other creatures. As yeah, her exactly. Um, but it is, it is very, you're, you are right, it is very much a, a stark decision to make to. She, followed all of the rules that Ned set out in the first episode. She looked them in the eye and she heard their last words and then she killed them for justice, as, as far as she was concerned. She's never been underhanded about the way that she hands out her justice. It's always been declared very simply and very plainly, but with no room for argument. Well, Daenerys has always made the point to look people in the eye when she's killing them, uh, right down to um, Viserys in the very first series. When Drogo is giving him the crown of gold, she looks him in the eye right before he does so. I'm fairly certain the only person whose eyes she didn't look into when she killed them was Drogo. But Drogo was, Drogo wasn't a sort of justice killing, that was almost that was a mercy. mercy killing. Very much the first time in the series that she really has to deal with the ramifications of her decisions. So I think that's that scene, and Daenerys as a character talked about. Um, I think the other major scene we want to discuss is the um... Dead Ned Umber. Dead Ned. Dead Ned. Happens a lot in this show. I I, I have some issues with this scene. There some were visual elements that I wasn't super happy about. It's too dark. It's really dark. It's dark enough that I thought my TV had turned off. I, I was I was really confused. There I... was just nothing there. But also, Eric Dondarrion is a glorified torch at this point. Yeah. He hasn't used his sword to kill anything that was like a genuine threat in ages. He just uses it to light up the dark. Like, he's just like, yes, he killed the boy, but the boy was pinned to a wall. He, he wasn't was no going threat. anywhere. That boy was the same amount of threat as that girl that was nailed to the tree in like the first episode. You know, like. like Although, didn't he have a knife? What, it, the boy? Yeah. It was so dark I couldn't tell. I still nailed to a wall. He was, but I think he had a little knife that even if they got close, he was meant to stab them or something. But like, it's 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 a minor detail in the shot. It's really, really minor, but also like <laughs> all the grading on that scene was so dark that minor details like that, unless they're pointed out to you, would be missed. I burst out laughing watching. Oh, it's this tension building scene, and I literally went, I, what is happening? I feel like it's a misplaced scene. It shouldn't have been in the first episode. No, and I definitely feel like it, the, the the point it was put in that episode was weird as well. Especially since I'm fairly certain they cut away to night at the Umbers Castle, which is what, like maybe a day's ride from Winterfell, but definitely still 
experiences time, like it's not in a different time zone as Winterfell, but because of where they put it and the darkness of the castle, it looked like because it fell between two scenes of Bran in exactly the same spot in the courtyard, it looked like he'd been left out overnight. It looked like whoever was in charge of like taking up Hodor's role and wheeling him back inside at the end of the day, had just like taken the night off. There's also the actual content of the scene. This is uh, the Night King's Pinterest. It's it's it, it's a pattern that we've seen a couple times. Um, it's the same swirl on the wall uh, that we see with the dead bodies in season one when they discover the White Walkers. It's the same swirl that um, that is made in in stones around the tree that the uh, that the Night King was created at. Um, so it's definitely significant, but it's something that we haven't seen a lot of in the show and because we've seen it maybe two, three times before now, it did sort of just look like the White Walkers had left us some people behind to like do a pretty picture. I mean like, a start, they've nailed limbs to a stone wall, like the White Walkers art department did a great job, but it just kind of didn't register as like anything other than like a pretty picture. Okay, so we've, we've covered pretty much everything that I had to say about the, uh, the um, dead umber boy and the subsequent Pinterest. So I want to talk about Aya and Gendry's reunion. We've we've discussed it a little bit with with the weapon that she requested from him, which I'm very interested in. But it was another very underplayed reunion for Aya. She Gendry was kind of the sort of male character that she latched onto when she didn't have John and Ned. Uh, she was she was much closer to John and to her father than she was for most of the rest of the family, you know? Um, and I think Gendry was kind of the next best thing when he was around. And, and, and last she saw him, he was like being taken away to die, I'm pretty sure. And, and they just kind of were like, hey, you're still alive then, me too, great. Like there was, there was no like big emotional reunion, especially when like one of the, one of the most memorable scenes between them is when she's quite upset and saying like, I could be your family. Um, which they do reference because he calls her milady, um, which is which is from that scene. Um, like, you wouldn't be my family, you'd be my lady. Um, but they chose not to make it emotional. And I think that makes sense on Aya's part. She's very changed from the last time he saw her. She became an assassin, she, she was a faceless person. She's killed a lot of people since he, he last saw her. But I kind of don't understand it from Gendry's perspective, because as far as he's concerned, when he was taken away, he left this young, more or less defenseless girl to like fend for herself. I, I would, I would, I kind of, I kind of would have thought he would have been at least a little bit more excited to see that she's not dead. The, the two of them spent the better part of an entire series together. Yeah. There was a major relationship and to have it kind of swept under the rug in this very short scene felt a bit sort of like they didn't really appreciate that the dynamic that those two had. It's like Arya doesn't even care. Which mm. I, I get again, I get from Arya's perspective, but why wasn't you like what well, do you not want you're not gonna like how have you been? You know, I feel that would have been more him, but they kind of they, they wanted to just they wanted to sweep by it as quickly as possible so they could show the Night King's Pinterest board. Quite. I don't, yeah, I don't think it's, I don't think there's a lack of emotion in the scene. I think if, if somebody were to tell me that like Aya felt nothing in that scene, I would direct them to her reaction shot when she sees Gendry and the Hound ride in. 
there's a lot of emotion there. And it's clear that she's done what she used to do in Winterfell, which is when something gets difficult, she disappears for a bit. You know, she was she was constantly running away from stuff she didn't want to deal with back like season one, you know, with the like sewing lessons and all of that kind of stuff. And it continued in King's Landing. She she ran away or she locked herself in her room, like she just like disappears to deal with things occasionally. Um and I and she had that time between them riding in and her going to find him. Like she she chose when she saw him or when he saw her. Um and I think like she she just dealt with that emotion off camera because it's not something that we needed to see. Um, they're not trying to sort of just service the fans by showing every emotional reunion. Um, I think they played it much truer to character. No, Bran and Jamie. <laughs> oh yeah. Bran, like I, I I think it's very interesting that they chose to put that right at the end of the episode. Um, I definitely think that. Um, when I was talking with Greg about it, he, he said that Bran's gonna forgive Jamie, but after he like bullies him about it for a little while. And I don't think he's going to. I don't think Bran cares. As far as Bran's concerned, he's not a Stark anymore. He's not anyone's brother or son anymore. He's just the Three-Eyed three Raven. That's all he considers himself to be now. So it's not going to matter to Bran that Jamie pushed him out of a window when he was born like 10. Well, you've got the thing as well that Game of Thrones plays with time where everything's already happened. Bran's just going back to make it continue to be so. Therefore, he's not going to be annoyed at Jamie because without Jamie pushing him out of the window, he wouldn't be the Three-Eyed Raven. And then we'd have a whole big situation with the Night King and the White Walkers coming down. Yeah, exactly. And I think I think that that's the whole scene is going to be more significant for Jamie than it is for Bran. Because Jamie is coming to the end of a massive redemption arc. And him arriving back in Winterfell and seeing Bran is him being confronted with the very first awful decision that we saw him make. It's the thing that like when everyone still disliked Jamie, that was the thing that made everyone dislike Jamie. And I think him being confronted with that and seeing that like Bran's fine about it. He's probably still going to beat himself up a bit about it because he like, he won't have thought about that in forever. You know, he's he's done so much stuff since he doesn't like. He's not going to be concerned about the ten-year-old boy that he threw out a window, who I'm pretty sure he heard was dead at one point when Theon pretended to have roasted him. Like, it's 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 going to be really important to Jamie to have some semblance of forgiveness for it, but Bran's not going to care. Especially because at this point. The entirety of Jamie's arc is getting into the, the Book of Honor. Jamie's had one of the best arcs, character arcs throughout the series, I think. Him and Cersei both actually, I think, have had really interesting arcs. Cersei, it's clear like where they've kind of gone for a divergent point with both of those characters. And Jamie has leaned more into the trying to be the honorable person that the Lannisters try to put themselves forward as, and Cersei has just doubled down on that I will can scythe and manipulate and then every time she does it just ends up worse for her and then all of her children are dead and she's not happy. I still think it's hilarious that somebody just parked Bran in the courtyard overnight. <laughs> oh, anybody watching that, like, Bran is in the same place 
in the previous shot we see him to when we see the reunion between well, him and Jamie. And the the first time when 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 Sam walks by and and asks him what he's doing, he says he's waiting for a friend. It's like he's like asked somebody to just leave him in that spot until Jamie rocks up because he knows it's gonna happen, but he doesn't know when. Like it's like he's been like I've been here for six days, but Jamie's gonna turn up at some point, right? Anyway, throughout this entire first episode, can we appreciate the? links to the first ever episode of Game of Thrones. Mm. Even with small things like Jamie's entrance, where he comes off his horse and takes off his hood and looks up, it's reminiscent of his first entrance in episode one, where he comes in on the horse, takes off the helmet, and shakes his wonderful Prince Charming hair. It was wonderful Prince Charming hair. Super great inversion in that first episode of like you expect Jamie to be the classic. You know, he's Oh, this has got to be our main character. And then he paralyzes a child. Like, you've got other things through the episode as well, like uh, Aya in the crowd watching, or a little boy climbing a tree to watch the oncoming army. Well, and that's 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 a callback to Aya climbing on the on the wagon when Jamie and the and the Lannisters are riding in. That's it's reflections of everything from where we started showing up in the beginning of the end, which is is a really nice like tie around. And then you've got like plot points as well, like Jamie coming back and seeing Bran, like, these are all, like, it's, it's, it's really, really nice to see that they're, like, they're tying everything together now, like, it's, it's coming to the end, which is sad, like, everyone really likes Game of Thrones and I'd like it to continue, but, like, it's definitely a good place to end it to. That's all we have for you today, I hope you enjoyed that episode. Join us next Monday where we will be discussing Edgar Wright in our talent showcase, and then next Friday when we will be dissecting episode two of Game of Thrones. If you want to contact us before that, check out our Twitter at the underscore tasty. Thank you for listening, and we shall see you again soon.